Hello and welcome to a special episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. It has been six months now since I released the first episode of this podcast. It's actually been around 10 months since I started actively planning for it, though. For one reason or another, I ended up buying myself a good recording microphone and ultimately decided that I needed this to not be a waste of money. So like every other white dude during the pandemic, I decided to start a podcast. It did take me a little time to decide on a topic. Uh, Believe it or not, Trees was maybe my third idea. I needed something niche that I felt like an expert on, or at least somewhat qualified to talk about. My first idea was to do a Lord of the Rings podcast. Tolkien's worldbuilding and writing had a huge influence on me in high school and college, and I probably studied his fantasy histories more than I studied some of my environmental science classes. I thought maybe I'll cover all those densely written other histories that led up to the popular trilogy and translate it into stories that garner appreciation from those who like Lord of the Rings, but didn't want to invest like I did. And ultimately, that seemed too niche. My second idea was to talk about national parks. I would tell the stories of those lands before humans threatened to overuse them, talk about the events leading up to their creations, interesting happenings over the years, and modern challenges these parks face. And I liked this idea, but I was afraid I didn't have close enough insight with each park I wanted to talk about. Sure, the National Park Service has great online resources, and if you simply call a visitor center and ask for stories, they'll tell you what they know, or try and find the answer for you, or find someone who can. It ultimately felt intimidating at the time. But if a park ever wanted someone to make a podcast for them along those lines, I'm right here. Podcaster is right at the top of my resume now. What I wanted to do was tell stories. It's what I enjoy doing and it's what I want to get better at. And I like to tell stories about trees. When I took dendrology in college, that was the primary tree identification course, we learned how each tree is useful to humans. A lot of that frankly bored me because I don't usually care about how trees make us money. I'll put a price tag on a tree if it makes you care about them, but... I just think they're neat. But sometimes these uses involved major moments in history, and the story that always stuck with me was how colonial laws around the eastern white pine led to one of the riots that preceded the American Revolution. It's something that we weren't taught in history class, or at least I wasn't, but it was right there next to the Boston Tea Party and the Stamp Act riots and the things we actually know about and remember. And it wasn't something you could just know by looking at the tree. Sure, you could see how tall and straight these trees were and infer the importance of their lumber for early white settlers, but your inferences can't go much further than that. And when I learned these stories, I was living outside of the eastern white pine range in Oklahoma, so when I moved to Wisconsin, where a ton of eastern white pines grew, I told this story as often as I could because no one knew it. Even when I was working in Washington, I would tell a coworker, you know what these tall and straight western hemlocks remind me of? Something thousands of miles away and not relevant. And I think it's just that story that made me land on my eventual topic, introducing you to all the stories of trees that you couldn't just know by looking at them. So that when you do look at them, you see more than just a tree. For the name of the show, I wanted to keep it simple. Just the idea that I'm introducing you to my favorite trees. And I had a couple other ideas for the name. I thought about Tree Time with Thomas. My freshman year of college, I was awarded a grant by the Student Council Sustainability Committee to plant some trees around my dorm because we always need more trees. 
but I wanted the residents of the dorm to collectively decide what to plant. These were going to be our trees, not just my trees, even though it has my name on them. And so I got my own special slot during the hall government meetings called Tree Time with Thomas, where I would lead a discussion about what trees to plant. We ultimately decided on two yellow flowering magnolias for those curious about what we went with. I think we really wanted Japanese maples, but where the planting location was did not offer enough shade, so the summer Oklahoma heat would have just destroyed them. The one other name I thought of was my attempt at being clever and cute. I wanted to call the show The Tree's Knees, like how if something is cool, people in the 50s would say, hey, that's the bee's knees, but with trees. That's a dumb name. <laughs> I'm sorry if you like it, but I don't. It's, it's, it's too dumb. <laughs> I recently went back and listened to my early episodes and noticed how much my storytelling style has changed. I started off putting all my chips into chill vibes. I wanted to be mellow and have a nice chill experience for the listener. And that's the reception I got with the first few episodes. People liked how chill it was. I don't think I actively tried to move away from the chill vibes, but I am glad I did. I think I'm more excited with my storytelling now because I really feel that this is how I want to introduce these trees to you, show how these species emotionally charge me. And that naturally happened because I had to start learning new stories myself. The first way I prepared for this show was around 10 months ago. I was sitting up against a giant sequoia that was planted in a disc golf course in Aberdeen, Washington, waiting for my car to get worked on by a mechanic in town. And I just opened up my notes app and started listing tree species that I thought were commonly known or well-loved or that I already knew the stories for. And yeah, I did know the stories behind a chunky handful of them, but... At some point, I had to start doing a lot of research for some of the ones I knew less about. And a lot of these episodes are full of stories that I was learning myself right before I tell them to you. The stories I knew were ones I had told others countless times, and I can make my voice tell them in whichever way I want. But these new stories made me excited, and that genuine feeling actually came through whenever I went to record the episodes and I wanted it to feel like I wasn't just some guy who googled something for you and read the results, but someone you met at a campfire, someone who had collected these stories to help amplify your feelings about the outdoors, you know, connect you with the world we live in. But that's what happens. The things you create change over time if you spend enough time working on them. We all grow in our forms of art and expression, and this show will continue to change in the future. I won't be able to make another new episode until probably December, but I've spent the last couple weeks writing enough to last the next six months that I will schedule to come out ahead of time. To ease my workload, they will be releasing every other Tuesday rather than every Tuesday, starting with the next episode, which won't come out until June 1st. Also, for whatever reason, I've enjoyed hinting and teasing at future episode topics, but keeping each one a surprise. I don't know why I did that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want you to get excited for future trees, so at the end of each episode, I'll let you know what's coming next so you can anticipate it over those two weeks that I don't have an episode coming out. For instance, my first tree scheduled to release this summer is about the linden. I remember back in my Laurel episode, I told a story where someone had me guess their tree-inspired name, and I jokingly had guessed 
Basswood, because it's a ridiculous name. But I wondered if anyone had told stories about the basswood, and in Europe they are more inclined to call this tree linden, and they do have stories about this tree. So there you go. As for continuing to make new episodes after I get back, we'll just have to see. I only plan my life six months out, and there's always a chance I wind up with a seasonal job over the winter where I am again living somewhere without cell service. But we'll get there when we get there. We have the whole rest of this year yet to go. Before I do leave, I wanted to give you all the chance to engage with the show and ask me questions so that I can talk about things that you specifically want me to talk about. Those who did send in questions sent in multiple questions each, so I ended up handpicking them to cover an array of topics, from tree questions to questions about my travels to my thoughts on the show itself. So we're going to get started with Austin's question. Austin asks, Are you a proponent of growing your own plants and trees? What can you say about investing in trees on private property as an individual versus investing in public arboretums and parks? Addressing the first question, what I think he's trying to ask is, do I support owning these aspects of the natural world as your property? For a long time now, there have been those who will argue that humans cannot really own land, that the land belongs to itself, it's owned by no one, and it's owned by everyone. There is that one tree that does own itself. In the early 1800s, there was a man in Athens, Georgia, named Colonel William Henry Jackson who didn't want anyone to touch his white oak tree. Legend has it that in an effort to keep the tree preserved, Jackson granted the deed of this tree to the tree. Now, no one had a right to cut it down except for the tree itself. Unfortunately, that tree did die, but in 1946, the community selected a seedling that was known to have grown from an acorn of the original tree and planted that in its place, calling it the son of the tree that owns itself. Honorarily, it is seen as the living heir to this deed. But in a very legal, human sense, I don't know. I admit to not knowing everything about tree law, but if I have to be honest, it is probably actually owned by the city of Athens, Georgia, and they have had the good graces to just be chill and respect this feature of the community. How we take care of the land is not such an easy question to answer as some may believe. Modern humans have vehemently established a culture set apart from nature. We do not mingle, we master. And this is just something we have to find compromise on. If we reach the point where our societies actually achieve and accept communal land stewardship, then it's a future that's a long ways off. For now, yes, we can own and grow our own plants and trees that belong to us in a human legal sense. People too often like to anthropomorphize trees and nature in general and treat them like they're people in regards to the discussion on ownership. But I love trees for what they are, not what they're not. While we are in this position where humans have the power to shape the face of the earth, we need to learn and standardize what responsibility that entails. There's ethical and moral codes that surround every aspect of human life. These codes may differ between cultures, but every culture shares the same resources on our planet. We need to establish a standardized code of land ethics that ensures the mutual success of our future societies and the resources that make these societies happen. 
When we make that happen, we can stop worrying about what it means to own and grow your own plants and trees. As for investing in trees privately versus investing in parks and arboretums, yes to both. As I've laid out, we all have the responsibility to make our planet a better place, and planting trees is a great way to do that on a local scale. Individuals already have incentives to plant trees on their own property. The presence of mature trees can increase a property's value, and depending on what trees you plant, they can provide resources for you as well. Certain native trees can encourage the presence of native pollinators. Fruit trees or nut trees can make produce that you can keep for yourself or sell for money. And of course, trees are made of wood that can be used for construction or to make fires that keep you warm. Living trees can cool your house in the summer by shading it and give your space additional privacy. And if there weren't so many individual benefits to planting trees, then I would consider suggesting that municipalities provide monetary incentives, but honestly, we don't need that. Regardless, municipalities should also be investing in planting trees for the wider benefits. Urban tree planting is something that is very important to our overall forest health in the United States. Urban trees make up around 74.4 billion of our trees, and that makes up for 8% of our total forest canopy. Like I said, humans like to create that disconnect, but trees are a way of reconnecting. And the cost of investing in trees is paid back over a frankly short amount of time. Urban areas covered in concrete absorb more heat in the summer than the surrounding rural areas and make our lives more unpleasant and more expensive in regards to cooling our homes, stores, and office buildings. Trees that shade our roads and sidewalks help limit that temperature increase. The concrete also makes rain events a nightmare in some areas. None of the water can reach the soil, so it all runs off into the storm drains, which ultimately leads to flooding. The crown of a single mature tree can, on average, intercept as much as 100,000 gallons of rainfall each year. A city covered in trees has less of a flood problem than those that aren't. And people who live in communities with healthy forested green spaces are generally happier. And happier people are likely to be more productive and contribute more to the economy. These are arguments obviously geared towards a more human financial stance, but I find that those are the folks that need a little more convincing. I feel like I don't even need to go into how trees can capture and store atmospheric carbon, and how much oxygen large connected forests produce or about how they encourage healthy soil and in turn help prevent water pollution. Trees in urban areas make our lives better on small, medium, and large scales. It's something that makes sense to invest in, as long as we're not planting more Bradford pears. Moving on, Jacob asks, what are your favorite national parks, and what national parks are the best to experience trees? It's hard to choose a favorite national park because they can be so different and attract you for different reasons. And I think the park that has actually taken my breath away in the most significant way is Death Valley, the place with no trees. When I visited it for the first time, the scale of the valley was something my mind just couldn't comprehend. The Mojave Desert in general just challenges my understanding of how big this world is, and I love that. Death Valley is just so otherworldly, and it's not just bare, consistent desert. There's wide, expansive, white salt flats, sand dunes like you're in the Saharan Desert, mountain peaks that reach thousands of feet above the valley floor, rocks painted bright with hues of pink and blue and yellow thanks to volcanic activity, and all sorts of other weird geologic features. And it is devastatingly hot in the summer. There is this 
unreal sense of danger there, like this place is trying to kill you. And that's just the strength of its spirit, and I don't need trees to love it. As for the treed parks, I have to automatically go for Olympic National Park. That's my mama park. I can immediately point to the presence of temperate rainforests and say, how often do you find yourself in a real rainforest? It's just the greenest place I've ever been, with some really stellar tree species like the western hemlock and the Sitka spruce. And the park has insane diversity because the trees in the rainforest valleys don't look like the trees on the coast, which don't look like the trees growing in the alpine regions at high altitudes. What's great about the forests of Olympic is that you can have so many different experiences all in the same place. I also have to give it up for parks named after trees. Redwood is obvious and also truly spectacular. If you've listened to the Redwood episode, then you should have taken the pledge to go see the Redwoods. I hope you haven't forgotten about that because it will change your life. The heights of these trees is truly mind-boggling. It's like you're in a land meant for giants and gods, but somehow you were special enough to find it too. I can't accurately speak for Sequoia National Park yet. I still haven't been there, but I'm going this summer, and I will give a full report when I get back. Even without having been, though, I can tell you it's worth it. And just to throw in a smaller, lesser-known park at you, I personally love Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. That Northwoods forest type is just so special to me. Eastern white pines, sugar maples, aspens, balsam firs which look and smell just how a Christmas tree should. What more could you want? Couple more. Lori asks, what is my favorite episode, and what is one fun fact that stuck out so much to me that it has stayed with me ever since I learned it? I actually had to give this a lot of thought because each episode is my baby. But one that I just really had a lot of fun with was the pomegranate episode. Typically what my creative process is like is that I'll research a tree, think about what I want to talk about with it, and make an outline organizing how I want that narrative to flow. But then I'll do the same thing for another tree, or write the script for another tree, or record something. Either way, each step of the process for making an episode takes weeks because I like to revisit my thoughts later and use that time away to figure out how I can make it better for the next step. The Pomegranate was the first episode where I had to break that pattern. One of my friends on Twitter was like, Hey, did you know that there's a Jewish holiday next week that's essentially Tree New Year? And I was like, No, what is that? So I got filled in about it, but I had so little time to actually plan the episode. I had something else planned to release. I still wanted to talk about a specific species, so I engrossed myself in the Jewish faith and learned about their views on the natural world and about the seven species they see as most important. And I just picked one. The pomegranate was potentially the first non-berry fruit cultivated by humans, so that seemed the most impactful. And rather than weeks ruminating on this topic, I spent three days tunneling deeper down a rabbit hole as I learned how important the pomegranate is to so many religions, both living and dead. And I was just delighted when I saw that one thing to do during Tubishvat was to try a new fruit, and I had never eaten a pomegranate. And I was just so thrilled to be able to engage with the source material like that. The circumstances of how this episode came to be is just something that isn't matched by any other episode, I think. As for a fun fact, that one I think is even harder. At this point, I'm kind of overloaded with fun facts. There was one thing that I think has stuck with me above everything else, but I don't know why. 
It's something from the Sitka Spruce episode. I am always just so tickled by the fact that the loggers harvesting spruce wood for World War I were fed up with the awful conditions and decided to unionize and strike. And the government responded by replacing the union workers with soldiers, while still not improving the working and living conditions. And, surprise, surprise, the soldiers hated it too, and they also decided to unionize. But the government had to respect their soldiers, that's who was fighting the war, so they were essentially forced to make living and working conditions less god-awful. Come on, America, please take care of your workforce! But I think what has ultimately stuck out to me more than fun facts is the stories that I have learned. And of all the stories I've told, I will never forget the Baobab stories. Specifically the one where the Baobab saw how beautiful all the other trees were and how ugly it was, and cried and cried, and the creator got tired of hearing it complain, so they picked up the tree and stuck its head in the ground. It took me a long time to record that story because I just could not stop laughing while trying to tell it. Finally, a few people have asked if I would turn this podcast into a book. And I still don't know how to answer that. Every episode has a full script written down, which is honestly most of the work. They would just need to be converted to a format that's meant to be read rather than heard. And maybe that is what the future of this project looks like. But like I said, I don't think about my life more than six months out. One thing I've definitely thought about is that there isn't an infinite amount of trees that I can talk about for 20 minutes at a time. So if I want to keep creating in the same way, something will have to end up changing. Whether that's telling the same stories in a different format, or broadening the scope of my topics. At some point, I'll have to figure that out. But you're always welcome to tell me what you'd like to see from me. Until the future becomes more clear, I just need to take a moment and appreciate what I have right now that I was able to make the decisions that led to what this podcast is and committing to it continuing as long as it has. Being a storyteller is ultimately something I want to do full-time. I want to be someone that helps form that bridge between people and the world that has supported our societies for the last 10,000 years. Maybe I'm already doing that right now. But I'm very glad to have so many of you that come back every week wanting to hear more stories from me. And I hope I have more stories to tell you for a long time to come. Until then, I'll see you all again on June 1st. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>